Welcome to Thriving Culture. I'm your host, D. Ray Freeman, and my goal is to give you practical tools and techniques that can help change your mindset and get you ahead in life faster. I'll talk with people from all walks of life who are thriving and have overcome health challenges, economic struggles, or even the impacts of systemic racism. If you want to go from surviving to thriving, stick around. This is The Thriving Culture Show. Today, I talk with Thomas Brooks. Thomas is the founder and principal consultant of Brooks 360 Consulting, LLC. He is a thought leader in the areas of business agility, DevOps, and product management. He focuses much of his time partnering with executive leadership on transformation strategy and focused value delivery. Throughout his 18-year technology career, Thomas has held leadership positions with Fortune 100 corporations around the world, including his current role as director and head of Agile for Ticketmaster. After recovering from three open-heart surgeries, Thomas is still thriving as a father, husband, entrepreneur, and investor in both stocks and real estate. Thomas is the perfect example of what this show is all about. Thomas, welcome to Thriving Culture. Thank you for the uh, opportunity to talk with you, Rick. Oh, man, it's such a pleasure to talk with you, bro. We've known each other for a little while. And throughout that time, I feel like we've become fast friends. And I'm so pleasured to be able to, to speak with you on this platform today. Yeah. I actually was joking with my wife about you. I think you are the first time. I think you hold the record for uh, the longest time I've spent with uh, somebody that I've met for the first day, didn't even know him, right? I think we spent like four or five hours sitting there talking over, over some food. That, that That's pretty good. I'd call that friendship. <laughs> for sure, man. Most definitely. Most definitely. Same here. So, Thomas, today we're going to talk a little bit about navigating the corporate world while Black. This is a personal topic for me and uh, obviously for you as well. There's some different challenges that Black men experience in corporate America. I've definitely dealt with some situations before and have had to change my conduct in order to kind of fit a society that may not accept me for exactly who I am. I'd like to speak with you about that. And can you describe to me some of the challenges that Black men face in corporate America that others may not even recognize or realize exist? Well... I actually think it's the same challenge that we face outside of corporate America. Uh, I, I talk about this and, and think about this topic all the time. All throughout elementary, middle school, high school, college, um, your life, for me, I've had to be aware and have an extra set of consciousness that some of my peers may not even think of. You and I are very similar in the sense that we're both fairly wide shoulder, pretty big guys, right? With, uh, you know, so that could be mistaken for intimidation that could elicit fear in people. So uh, I'm always thinking of that. And as you're trying to climb and, and gain opportunities in corporate America, you have to be aware of the way you look. I've been trained and I've trained myself to always smile now, always, you know, be welcoming. You know, you don't want to be threatening to anyone because, let's be real, 
all of the movies that they've seen, all of the rap videos and everything tell a different story. So I have to break that stigma. So that's one way. The second way is, and this has happened to me multiple times in my career. Um, it doesn't happen as much now, <laughs> but it's kind of comical if you think about it. It's the shock. People will tell you that, oh, you're very articulate or you speak very well. You're not like the rest of uh, the, you know, those guys over there. What does that even mean? Right. <laughs> so, you know, as much as I would love to call them on their BS a little more, we'll say uh, directly, um, you kind of hold it in and you're like, you know, wh what do they really think about black people? And there's also this, I, I remember during the Hillary Clinton campaign when she was going against Trump. One thing that's never left me is that they talk about a glass ceiling that mm -hmm. women have to overcome. And, and um, I'm sensitive to that, right? Because I think that there's an equal, equally large glass ceiling that, uh, that I have to overcome as a black man in America and probably all over the world. I mean, we live in America, but I think it's the same across the world, right? Yes. So that, that is kind of the roundabout way of saying that we have to have this built-in consciousness and awareness of how we look, what we say, and you know who we associate with in order to even get a seat at the table to be presented with potential opportunities. That doesn't even mean we're going to get the opportunities, just the potential mm -hmm. of possibly getting the opportunities. So that's it. Mm, mm, that's, that's powerful. You know, I've, I've also seen it to where in some leadership environments, they're not accustomed to taking advice from someone who looks yeah. like us. They may be accustomed to asking for help or asking you to do a task, right. but asking for your advice that, that's different. Um, I've, I've seen that challenge before. Have you run into that before? You know, that's part of the game we're in, right? Uh, I'm an independent consultant now. I've been doing that for a while. It's my business, right? That's my side hustle. That's what I do. And it's so funny because, yes, until recently, that has absolutely been true. Now, with the diversity initiatives and inclusion, man, we are kind of the hottest thing in the world. They want to talk to us and ask us for our <laughs> advice. But yes, before, I would say that um, they just wanted you to be somewhat of a, uh, and by they, I mean America. It's, it's just a norm that we just want to be satisfied. We want you to be a good soldier and support. Mm -hmm. and, and that just comes from, let's be real, that comes from what the norm is. Growing up, most of the people I saw was not in a leadership role. They were not the boss. They were not the CEO of their own company. I grew up around a lot of people who worked in call centers who uh, were in logistics, and there's nothing wrong with those professions, but that does kind of show and, and build upon that stigma that we're not the ones who are given that advice because we may not have that experience. That's the way I would take that. Most definitely. I, I can understand that. You know, it's it's challenging for black men to be able to climb that corporate ladder, but at the same time, understanding that ownership is accessible. Uh, a long time ago, there was prevention of what type of business a black man could own. You know, you could own a church, you could do a school, you know, but getting into a large corporate enterprise was very difficult to get loans, very difficult to get support. 
And a lot of that is changing, but we're seeing people that just don't take advantage of it and just aren't, aren't doing that. How do we get Black men um, more um, aware of the opportunity for ownership and even just to desire it over just having a job or just doing things a basic way? So one thing people make fun of me because I spend a great portion of my day reading. Because I think that that's the key. And, and, and I don't read, not that there's anything wrong with reading fictional novels for fun. I'm trying to learn how everyone gains wealth, right? I want to learn a certain portion of history. I don't want to know about um, necessarily what schools taught me, how our country was founded. I mean, those things are important, but that's not helping me get to that point that we're discussing here. So what I do is I, I try to focus on financial literacy. I try to focus on a book I just finished was uh, The Color of Money, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about, it's history. Let's just be real. It's how different groups, whether they be Italians, specifically for Blacks and how we don't have our own banks and how monetary empowerment, right, kind of drives what you can truly own because it's not necessarily just the ownership, right? By the way, it's not just necessarily owning a house, right? Because you still got to pay taxes on it. You still got to be able to eat. You still got to have resources available to you. The key is actually, what do you control, right? And that's the game they don't teach us. And that's why I say we have to read. We have to self-educate our kids and ourselves. And that's what I try to do. I try to follow uh, people who are on that tip. So again, it's not necessarily even just owning because the mistake I see a lot of people do is they go out and say, I'm going to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And then your house mm-hmm. poor, right? you got this huge mortgage payment that you are now responsible for that now demands that you work 80,000 hours every single week. <laughs> so now you have no opportunity and you have no time to actually make any other money. So instead, what you want to do is you want to figure out how can I control some resources, right? Some assets and allow those assets to make me some money. That's the key for us. And that's what we're missing. And that's what's held us back. And that's what you described, right? There were red lines. There were opportunity zones. There were different things that we just didn't have access to that now you're right. It's changing a little bit because we're learning the game. And now when we're learning the game, we need to let's play it. That's, that's all. So that's, right. that's all it is, man. It's, it, it, you know, I don't need a Gucci belt. I don't need, uh, you know, all of that. I'm not flossing for anybody else. I'm trying to actually break the cycle, stack some, um, stack some resources that now my future generations can benefit from. And that's how we're going to change this. Excellent. Excellent. Well said. You know, this time that we've been in with this pandemic has really put a lot of things in perspective. I think about those months that we were locked down here in in Los Angeles. Leaving the house was illegal. Um, Leaving the house was dangerous at a time when when we had a lot of stuff going on. And and having the flyest clothes in your closet, having the dopest car in your garage didn't mean a thing. (laughs) It's It's just junk sitting out there. And the ability to maintain and be able to say, have food on the table and, and just have the, the basic security of life became so much more important than any of those material things. And just with, with COVID, 
with the changes that we've had to make, how are you coping with it? How are you and your family dealing with the pandemic and being able to maintain and stay strong as a family unit? You ever heard the term of gift and a curse? Yes. That, that's the way I would uh, describe this. How long has it been? Six months, nine months? The curse is because we live in fear even more so than we have um, every single day of the week. Inherently, all of us, you hear people all the time, I fear nothing. I have no fear that everybody has fear. Um, we all worry about something. That's my, my belief. But with this COVID-19 panic, it's kind of made that come to the forefront even more. Every day you wake up, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your mom, you're worried about something, right? Because you don't want anybody, your friends, you don't want anyone to contract that. Um, and you don't wish any ill fate on any anyone, right? But the gift part, that's what I have tried to embrace a little bit more with this COVID, is it has made some things possible, such as I'm home. Dude, I was on a plane every Monday. Every Monday, I'm wheels up flying somewhere, right? Coming back home Friday. So I missed everything. I've got three kids. I missed everything. I have a wife. I've been married for damn near 17, 16 years now. Well, I hope that's right because she can see this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not right. I'm getting but uh, it's made me actually become more of a family man. I've yes. been here to see my kids. I've had conversations with my kids. I realized the disconnect that I actually had with, you know, uh, my kids and my wife. So this gift is time. I had never really gone on walks with my wife. I had never spent time working with my kids on schoolwork like that because my job, my profession, again, I was wheels up. I was a provider. This has made me become appreciative that I've been blessed with a family. They have access to me. Last time you and I talked, you heard my door. Somebody knocked on the door. I'm accessible now. It's it's no longer me uh, on the phone. I'm not across the U.S. So just spending more time with my family, focused on appreciating every day that I'm given, and also appreciating the fact that I got working limbs and I got a brain that works. You know, and and I'm just trying to build. I'm trying to pour into my kids even more now because you never know with all this craziness that's going on, you know, how much time you got left. So just embrace every day you got. That's what COVID's kind of forced me to do. That's the gift I'll say that I've been given through this pandemic. Most definitely. I know we have talked before about you know, health challenges that, that you've gone through and the way you, you've dealt with them and came through and the you know, way we see you today, you'd never imagine that you've gone through the things that you've gone through. And, and looking at you today, you're a vibrant, healthy, healthy, upstanding man. Nobody would guess the things that you've gone through, but you've actually, within your entire lifetime, you've had three open heart surgeries. And can you tell us a bit about your experiences from these three procedures and, and just the recovery process from each of them. Yeah, something I've been dealing with my my entire life, and I've never wanted to be a sick kid or to be special. 
right? I don't want anyone to know anything's wrong with me because I don't believe anything's wrong with me. And and that comes from my mom. Um, I had my first heart surgery before, you know, I can't describe the first one because I was, I was way too young. But I remember when I was, I think I was about 12 or 13. That's the one I remember the most. My mom told me, there's nothing wrong with you, right? And um, I've always held on to that. They always allowed me to kind of be a normal kid. They never held me back. Yeah, my mom probably worried. and She didn't want me to play sports. She didn't want me to play football. She didn't want me to do, uh, to get hurt, right? That's, a, that's, that's what moms do. But she still allowed me to go out and, and do what I, I wanted to do, as long as the doctor blessed it, of course. Um, right. So I went through that, had a normal, as, as normal as we could be outside of the yearly visits to the doctor, a normal kind of high school career. And then transitioned into the adult world where I started building my career. And then one day I fainted. I, I was going up four flights of stairs um, here in Texas. I live in Texas and uh, passed out. And, uh, and that's when I had to have my next heart surgery. That one is a little bit more real because I had a wife. I had three kids. I had built this persona as strong. You know, you want to be strong. You want to be tough. You, you, I'm dad, right? I'm a man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was broken, man. You know, you can't. It, the hardest part of the recovery was that my kids had to see me as a vulnerable person. Right? They had to see the scar. I used to be the fat. I was faster than all of them, including mom. You know, I was stronger. That was what I, that was part of my identity. And they actually got to see me vulnerable. They, they got to see me weak. You have drainage too. I mean, it's tough coming back. They had to teach you how to walk and build up your muscle strength again. And that's something that just sticks with me every day now. Because your kids, they're not going to say anything, but you know, they're like looking at you like a science experiment because you got all this stuff going on. So anyway, that was happening. I was determined that, you know, I was going to change that. It was not going to to stick with me. So it took me about a month, month and a half to, to get back to somewhat being normal. I mean, you're always going to have sensitivity and stuff for a while when you get cut open. But I'd say um, about a month and a half after I had that surgery, pretending to be normal. <laughs> to the best of my ability. Honestly, I've dealt with that ever since. That was back in 2013. And we're now, it's 2020. I actually did have another incident in 2018 where um, I had somewhat of a scare. I had to get a pacemaker put in. So this is a part of me. And now what I've done is I've, I've embraced it. I look at it like, yes, it is a, uh, it's something that I wish my family didn't have to deal with. But to me, it's where I've described it to my wife when we have some of our private comments. Hell, I've had three open heart surgeries and a pacemaker. How many other people can say that? And, and I'm still grinding. <laughs> I'm still out here. I'm still, you know, doing my thing. And unless I tell people, which I guess they could search for show now. Unless I tell them, they're not going to know. You never you know, know. You see me, I look like a normal person. I look pretty strong. And uh, I'm good with that. So, yeah, it's, it's just a part of me now. It's, it's just something else I've conquered. That's the way I look at it. I can imagine that this has really changed your perspective 
on on life, oh, yeah. on work, on what's important, what's not important. And we kind of alluded to some of the things um, earlier that COVID has presented some opportunities for us to become closer with our families and and spend more time connecting with nature and and just centering ourselves. But to have the experiences that you've had, how has that changed your perspective and made the experiences of your life different? So uh, it's bigger than me, right? That that's that's kind of what I look at every day. Again, I've got three kids. I've got a fourteen year old son and then an 11-year-old daughter. I now focus on what I can do to make their lives better. To a fault, I'm always coaching, right? I know that's part of our profession, but every day I see my kids, I'm always coaching, I'm always mentoring, I'm always probably annoying them to a certain (laughs) respect. But the purpose behind that is that the goal is to prepare them for life and to build them. I'm not living for me necessarily anymore, right? Um, So some of the moves I'm making, the delayed gratification, being um, careful financially, right? I know a lot of people embrace what they call the YOLO, you only live once type of lifestyle, but I don't buy that, right? Yeah, I may only live once, but let's be real. I've got three different generations coming up after me. So I'm trying to make sure that they're ready, right? Um, it's not about me. So that's that's kind of with this COVID, that's with my health condition. Everything has kind of come to a hit here, I want to be a blessing, not a burden to my family. I want to uh, set them up so that they can actually be ahead of the game. That's what it's about, everything, right? I I may have a little bit less uh, time than others, maybe. I don't know that for a fact, but it's just focus. Let's focus on the goal, right? I want to make sure that we have generational wealth, that we have access to knowledge and resources, and and I'm going to be a support system. For my family. Awesome. Awesome. You know, throughout that recovery, there were things that I'm sure you had to teach yourself how to recover, how to rebuild from that, as well as people who supported you and, and helped you during that recovery. For our listeners, there's every time I do this show, I, I talk to people, man, there's always somebody it connects with that say, you know what, I'm going through the exact same thing, or I know somebody that's going through the exact same thing. What advice could you give to our listeners, one who may be going through some type of recovery and, and could use some advice there, and two, someone who is caring for someone who is recovering from a, a major devastation like that? What, what advice could you give to in those two scenarios? For me, what all, so the advice to the person who may be facing adversity or, or uh, recovery, uh, I think for me, it's don't feel sorry for yourself. Let's go get it. I know that sounds that sounds crazy. But that that is exactly what I tell myself. You know, yeah. Just don't feel sorry for yourself. Focus on the goal. The goal. If the goal is just to get back walking again, for instance, when I was in this uh, hospital with my last heart surgery, they were like, "Oh, we can't release you until this." My goal was to get released. I'm gonna get released tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm getting out of here tomorrow, right? Or if the goal is that I had surgery and then what they do back then, it may be different now, but back then they said, hey, we'll have you up and walking by by uh, in a day or two. Now, I'm going to be up and walking tonight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> crazy, right? But focus. <laughs> it may not actually happen, but if you, if, if you push yourself, if you're really focused on your goal, you're going to recover a lot faster. So don't feel sorry for yourself. You know, go after what you're trying to achieve. That's it. For the person who, 
has to support, I'll say, that recovering person. I think of my wife, right? You don't have to deal. So for me, I know I probably drive her crazy because there's two aspects. One aspect I think she realizes that I do push myself and and I am self-motivated. That's just me. It's a it's a dangerous line that she has to walk because you know she has to be careful not to. When I was recovering, right, she didn't want to. Uh, she may try to push me at one point, right? But then that may be perceived as you calling me a punk or something, right? So it's a dangerous line. So if you're actually supporting someone who is recovering or or even just supporting somebody in general, I think for me with my wife, she'd be a cheerleader, right? Be there just to listen to them, right? Tell them what they're doing right. Don't tell them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> uh, and accept that sometimes they're going to make bonehead decisions. My wife had to accept that. I mean, I was not going to, I have a problem. I don't just listen to doctors all the time. And it's actually served me fairly well, right. just to be honest with you. Right. right. I have been able to break some of the barriers that they said would be in place for me. So just support them. Just be kind, listen, be that friend. That That's what I think I need when I'm recovering. Just need my friend. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's great advice, man. That is awesome advice. Let's switch gears a little bit. Because you and I, we work in a very similar industry. We do the same thing, but we just do it in different ways and of course at different places. We work with something called Agile. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes just kind of talking a little bit about that. Now, we've, we've both been in this industry for a long time, and the future of Agile is, is changing, and the, the future of this profession that we're in. While I have you here and have you on this forum, man, I just would really like your perspective on where is it going? You know, where, where is it going? So many places have either brought it in or, or brought in some form of it, but where is it going from here? I don't know. I think about that all the time is I do believe that we are no longer just focused on the easy part that used to be hard, right? It used to be, we need to build cross-functional teams. We need to work in short time boxes that, you know, build agile teams, right? That's known now. It used to be a known unknown. It's a known known now. I also think that people understand that time to market as well as kind of this new concept, this business agility, uh, where we connect the dots from the top of the organization where we're planning all the way down to where execution, that's also a known, known now. And and you've heard the term probably DevOps being popularized and DevSecOps and, and all of these different uh buzzwords that we'll throw around. But I think the future is going to be a tad bit more technical. I think there's a lot less ambiguity in our world, right? We know we have to be nimble. We know we have to to be able to change on on uh, change with the uh, wind per se. We we know that uh, the world doesn't allow us just to survive because we're huge. Right. You see companies that are really, really large mm-hmm. and titans that are falling every day. So I think that that's what I believe is known and, and what's kind of changed 
in our profession. So yeah, I don't know where it's going. I do know that it's not an option anymore. And I don't think people question uh, whether agility is an option anymore. You don't hear as many folks even mention waterfall as much anymore, Right. right? Yeah, the world has definitely changed in that regard. And I appreciate your, your perspective there. I do feel the same, that it's it's going to the business and being the, the top down. It is the norm in organizations or expected to be the norm. It's But you'd be surprised how many organizations still haven't brought it in, um, how many still push back against it. I think that the mindset is what is still lacking in change. And then also just the realization that digitization of everything is going to more and more replace what we do. So we absolutely have to learn to work together better. Otherwise, we can be replaced. You and I, we talked for a while about how might we automate what we do. Now, we ask a series of questions, and those questions solicit a, a series of answers. And based on those answers, it's a new question, and it's a new answer. You could almost automate what we do to some regard, and that changes the whole dynamic of of what we do, how we serve the market, how we serve the industry. How do you feel that plays into where we're going as a um, a corporate society in terms of how we deliver business and value to the market? It has to happen. It's funny because <laughs> to a certain extent, let's, let's be real, it already has happened. A lot of the consultants, the coaches, the agile experts, the DevOps experts, whatever methodology or framework you choose to be the guy or girl for, right? Their answers are automated. Take it the right way, but you know everyone is a, a coach or a uh, SME to a certain extent. And what they've done in a lot of instances is they've gone through and they have memorized what the framework says and what the correct answer is. So it, to a certain extent, yes, we haven't built it into a computer, but we've got a thousand millions of computers that have already been built and they state the proper answer, right? They can tell you the Agile Manifesto word for word. They can tell you the steps that we go through word for word. They can tell you, I think it's necessary now. And, and the reason I say that automating it is necessary now is because, look, six months ago, what we're doing right now would have been said not as effective as having Ray in the room or Thomas in the room, right? I had to fly to LA. I would have had to fly to, to wherever we were. But now the world is changing. So now the questions that you're going to ask me will no longer be those known knowns that we talked about earlier, right? The predefined questions, because you can go find that out on your own. So yes, let's build that automated, computerized uh, kind of you know questionnaire that'll set people up to get to a certain point, and then let's bring in the big guns when we truly need them. So yes, I think there's a huge opportunity. I think it's going to happen. It's necessary. So awesome. You know, Thomas, you stay up on all of the different trends and you're a thought leader in this industry. How do you maintain continuous learning or continuous knowledge to stay relevant and, and be able to offer advisory in, in this business and personally? How do you keep your mind sharp to be able to do that? I like people. <laughs> that sounds terrible, man. <laughs> but I like people. So I meet with people who I respect 
whenever I can. Uh, I have mentors that I meet with to sharpen my mind, keep me focused. And then I have these kind of conversations whenever I can. So for me, I, I never want to be boxed. So you've noticed I've tried to stay away from mentioning any names or frameworks or methodologies or, or even calling myself a specific type of consultant because I don't want to box myself. And I do the same thing with my focus areas for what I read. I read anything from economics all the way to psychology, even down to, uh, we'll say sports, right? So I try to keep myself, we'll say, diversified in thinking. Right. Um, as well as the people that I surround myself with, they come from a lot of different industries. I don't just talk to agile experts or DevOps experts or people in different lines and industries that uh, that we just chop it up. Right? We just talk. And iron sharpens iron. That's mm-hmm. how you get better, man. Which allows you then to pivot and, and kind of be more real with your responses. It's not programmed. I don't want to be scripted ever. That's my goal. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you're an avid reader. I try to read a lot myself. And when we were traveling more, um, I got into audiobooks because I could hop on the plane and I could put that audiobook on and and maybe even stream a little music at the same time and just listen. And you know, in a two, three hour flight, I may would finish a book. You know, in a couple of weeks, I'd finish a book, I'd start another one. And I put that in my own book about just how important it is to read a book a month, read a you know, just Average people should start reading. So much information is hidden between the pages of books. And you're an avid reader. What are some of the things that you're reading right now and some of the things that they've inspired you to do as a result of of just reading? I want to be different and I want to be free of of thought-wise, right? I want to control what I actually believe and what I say. So First and foremost, let me just qualify one thing. I don't watch news. I don't have cable, so we don't watch a lot of TV, which is, that's the first key. It allows me to control what I expose my mind to. I learned that a few years ago, and that's kind of been a core competency, we'll say, of mine. The second thing you asked me, what I'm reading. You know, it depends on where I'm at, we'll say, in the year or where I'm at mentally. Um, Earlier in the year, again, I mentioned the color of money. Um, I finished that. That was because I was really focused on building and preparing my family uh, for the future. COVID was rampant. Um, I already had some health diseases, right? You you know, I want to make sure I'm ready and I'm sharp and I can pour into my kids. So Color of Money is a really good book that I've read this year. I read a lot of books. So, I mean, it's not once a month. My goal, I remember a few years ago, my goal was 100 books, right? I've always pushed myself to try to read 100 books a year. And and it started out just as a number. Now it's more so because I think reading books allows me to do two things, right? I choose what I expose myself to, but it's almost like I'm taking somebody else's brain and combining it with mine. So it's my superpower, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's why I try to read so much. But The Color of Money, Mamba Mentality is a sports book that I read about Kobe Bryant. Remember that when the Kobe Bryant situation yeah. happened, it changed my focus. I had to go there. Um, one that I read a few times is uh, Breaking the Chains of uh, Psychological Slavery. I am Akbar is the author. Mm-hmm. That's one that I read because, again, I'm preparing two young Black men for this world. So I want to make sure that I'm self-prepared, right? Before I can actually, before you can teach somebody else, you actually have to have been in the trenches. That's what I'll say. And I did grow up yes. um, 
different than my kids, right? They they have some luxuries that I didn't have, um, but still mentally, but yeah, you provided but mentally, for them. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that I'm always prepared to also go into them, not just financially. So that's one. And then professionally, I've read almost everything by Patrick Lecciani. Can't say everything, but. If I see a Patrick Lecciani book, I've read The Five Dysfunction of the Team, uh, Five Temptations of a CEO, Getting Naked, right? That's just anything we're, that we can use as consultants, that we can use to talk with executives to kind of help them kind of strategize and, and kind of focus on what the problem is and what our goals are and how we're going to resolve that. So, yeah, that's I gave you quite a bit. It's like, you want more? I can give you more. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. I'm always trying to evangelize that to people, just how important it is to put new information into your head on a regular basis. Just make it a habit. And I try to keep books around. And just anytime I'm, I'm sitting and just thinking of something, I need to put new information in my head. And it, yeah. and it gives me an opportunity to uh, reevaluate my own thinking. Because it, it's like you mentioned, it's not influenced by the news or the television that's, that's uh, just pumping information into me. And we do, we do watch TV. We, you know, we turn on the TV and then when I see it, I can almost feel the programming coming my way, you know, <laughs> like stop, get out of my head. You know, right now we're, we're in election season. So much on TV is pouring information. No on this proposition. Yes. On that proposition. And you never know what's buried in there. I'm like, I'm not listening to none of this. I'm going to read the proposition myself. And when I cast my ballot, I will make it based on my thought of who is the best candidate or which is the proposition I want to be for or against. These commercials have no impact. And I know that a lot of people that does have an impact to them and that may get into their head. And when they get into that, that ballot booth, they may choose something that's based on a commercial they saw, not based on fact or information. My goodness, it's it's challenging right now, but it's a reality we deal with, right? I'd argue that most people are that way. And that that was the thought process. I wish my son was here, man, because uh I tell him don't be don't be a cat don't be a cattle, right? We don't want to be cattle. Mm-hmm. In general, my opinion is that people do what they're told. Because subliminally, uh whatever the hottest trend is. Whatever other people are saying is cool, right? Hell, just look at the music, how it changes <laughs> every every ten years. Right? What well, we yes. thought was cool when we were coming up, not cool anymore. Right? The stuff that's cool now, we would have thought was madness. Even the way people dress, the way people talk, right? So, you're. I think the human mind is very susceptible to being controlled, and I think you are controlled by the media, you are controlled by what you watch, what you read, that's why I try to choose what I read, and man, the commercials are deep, man. You know, people cut the cord. I think that's, you know, that, that most people have cut the cord now, right? But now they provide mm-hmm. TV programming to you free in a lot of different areas, right? Yeah. You still get ads, you still get commercials, you still get it all there, because that's powerful. They can control you. You can be a piece of cattle, right? They're steering us in a certain direction, one way or the other. So my thought on that. Love it. Love it. Thomas, man, we have covered a lot today, man. We have talked about navigating the corporate world while Black. We've talked about dealing with COVID and ways that you've been able to overcome and to thrive throughout COVID. We've talked about health challenges that you've overcome 
and you've given us some great advice on things a person can do to recover as well as helping someone to recover. And we also talked a lot about reading and we dove into business a little bit and geeked out on Agile. And I appreciate you, you uh, let me do that and you know, have an opportunity to speak with you on that. Before we go, I would just like to ask you, do you have any words of wisdom you'd just like to share with our listeners? You are a super intelligent man, and I would just love to have any words of wisdom you'd like to share with us before we get out of here today. Putting me on the spot for that one. <laughs> I don't know necessarily if there are words of wisdom, something that is a meaning book to me. I got this from a book I read here recently, too, is... You know, we all want to be grateful. Most people want to be great, but it starts with being grateful. So that that's kind of what I would tell people too. If I were leaving people with something, if I had a young dude that I'm talking to, it, like, first of all, be grateful. Right? If you want to get to that next one, be grateful for what you can do today. Be grateful for what you have so far and use that to excel you to the next level. Great advice, Thomas. Thank you so much for being here on Thriving Culture today. It's been an awesome conversation. Look forward to speaking with you again. Be well. I'm hoping that this crazy world opens up so we can actually see each other and and shake hands again and, and not have to do this virtual thing. But for now, it's good to see you. It's good to hear your voice. And again, we appreciate your wisdom that you've shared with us today. All right, man. Hey, you be safe. Good talking with you. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope this conversation inspired you today. And if it did, hit that subscribe button. I'd love to hear from you. So write us a review. It helps us to get found by more people who think just like you do. And the more people who hear this message, the more we create a thriving culture. I'm D. Ray Freeman. We'll see you next time.